0: Well, that is our prayer as we turn to 1 Samuel, chapter 10. We're going to look at the first 16 verses of this chapter. It's getting a little flack for preaching too long, so I'll just try to not preach so many verses. Not bad flack, just sarcastic humor. And... <laughs> I was asked twice this week, which was very interesting, uh, What would I do if people started getting up and leaving your sermons in protest for the time limit? And I said, We would ask those people to find another church. Um, They sat through some ball games this week that lasted a lot longer than an hour and a half. And you get up and leave the ball game when your team's losing. Jesus hasn't lost. Why would you want to leave? We gather around the Word of God. It is such a privilege to preach the Word, to hear the Word. And I hope that's your prayer today that God, by His Spirit, according to His Word, would show us Christ. First Samuel chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 14 through 16 to begin our time together. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect Word. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, where did you go? And he said, to seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about... The matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Oh God, I pray that would not be us today. Concerning the kingdom, we would be willing to tell it all. Because by the power of your spirit, we would not be able to help but speak about what we have seen and heard in Christ. God, thank you for making us a sign today. You have planted us in the world, in this place, in this city, with these families, and in this community, in all kinds of different ways. All throughout the week, we will be in all different kinds of situations, jobs, careers, and moments. And you have planted this church as a sign to say Jesus is Lord. Oh, may we we bring honor and glory to Christ. And declaring he is Lord. But for these moments would you show us Christ. So that we may be faithful witnesses. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Friday this week uh, was my birthday. I know some of you feel really guilty because you, you missed it and didn't send me a Facebook message or a card. I'll still accept those today. But because of the the wonderful world of social media and technology, it's kind of changed the ways our birthdays happen. Uh, At 12 a.m., I started receiving notifications midnight the day prior, happy birthday, those Facebook messages, and then woke up the next morning with texts from family and friends, happy birthday, happy birthday. And to be honest with you, uh, that's one good thing about technology. Your birthday is extremely encouraging. You think a lot of people love you uh, and care about you and are thinking about you and they're able to, to let you know, even if they've set that up on a schedule on their Facebook and it just comes through sort of mechanically, you still kind of feel loved on your birthday. Uh, and I started noticing throughout the day just all the variety of ways people were sending me these birthday greetings. Like it was... It was amazing by the end of the day, the the memes I got throughout the day, uh, the gifts. I think that's the way you say it, little stories and videos, text messages, and all of these birthday greetings that kind of communicate who I am to these people. Uh, And it it, it was just a hodgepodge of uh, just crazy things. The day began at the coffee pot with Chorus, she, she left a note on the coffee pot because she knew that's the first place I go and she, out of pride, wanted to be the first person to tell me happy birthday. So I got the happy birthday dad and throughout the day, happy birthday son, uh, you, all, all of these things from, from family, pastor, I used to coach baseball, uh, players sending me happy birthday coach and then Melissa Tabor sent me uh, a Mania uh, happy birthday greeting and then there was Rick Flair and, and, and John Martin sent me this Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think it was the best one It was Arnold Schwarzenegger and like lasers would come out of his eye when you would click on it, this happy birthday greeting. I got Fresh Prince of Bel-Air gifts, because I said a few weeks ago that was one of my favorite shows. Christy Wells sent me, I think two or three VBS questions and then she just threw in happy birthday. (laughs) It sort of communicates our relationship. There was Tennessee, Atlanta Braves, NASCAR themes, and I just thought if someone just dropped, like at the end of the day, just dropped into the world of my phone, they would think this is the weirdest human I've ever encountered. <laughs> like, who is this person? Uh, who, who is he really? What, who is he to all of these people? And it's, it's the same thing that goes on in 1 Samuel chapter 10, because Saul is being greeted in all of these different kind of ways. And to be honest with you, when you begin to read the chapter, it's weird. It's strange. It doesn't make any sense to us. All of these encounters, people are telling him weird things. But but in all of it, God is telling him and reminding him who he is. This is who you are to me. And this is the way our relationship's going to be. As weird as these signs are, these statements are, I am declaring to you who you are. Remember, we're being led to the king we need. And two important themes in 1 Samuel is we need a king who is a prophet, who will stand before us and declare to us the word of God. And we need a priest who will stand before God and declare to God the word about us. We need someone who will stand between us and God. We need a king who is both a prophet and a priest. And Samuel has taken on that role. In Samuel, who who was adopted into the temple and served Eli there. We have seen a prophet who serves as a priest. But Samuel was only a glimpse to the king that we need. And here with Saul, we're going to get an even wider picture of the king we need. He is going to be a flawed witness of the kingdom. But he is going to give us a picture of a king who is both supposed to be prophet and king. As bad as he will be at all of that, he is to give us a picture of that. God has chosen him for that. God is allowing this to happen. Even though, remember two chapters ago, Israel said, we want a king like everybody else. We want a trophy king. We want a prop king. We want a man who we can say that's our guy who's fighting our battles. And last week we were warned about appearances, just having a a king for appearances. And and the kingdom doesn't always come in appearance. We've seen that in Jesus. We've seen a crucified Messiah who doesn't appear to be a king winning. And we are warned of appearance. But God is allowing this to happen to give us another glimpse into the sort of king we need. And we see this beginning in verse 1. He is identified by the kingdom. Notice, then Samuel took a flask of oil and he poured it on his head and he kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you? Now, A way to not really translate, but think about anointing is, has God not set you apart? Has He not set you apart, notice, to be prince over His people? And we said this last week, this word prince isn't the word for king. It's just leader. Hasn't God called you to be a leader at this time? Hasn't God put you before His people at this time? And we're reminded that this this isn't the king that God has chosen. Notice, over his people, Israel. And that's the point. God is telling Saul, these are my people. I'm allowing you to lead them for a time. You're not the king I chose, but I'm allowing you to do this for a time to do something good for my people. Notice the text continues. And you shall reign over them. Remember, they're going to get a king who's going to treat them more like slaves. and, And that's communicated here. The people of the Lord, these are my people. And you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. I'm going to use you in this way. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. And so he takes this bottle of oil and he pours it on his head. To say, you're set apart for this time to do this for my people. He kisses him and it's a sign of acceptance. You are accepted as this temporary king. And and this sign of pouring oil on their head was, it it was a way in which God set apart all kinds of leaders. And and for his kings, we'll see uh, as we move forward in the Bible, that often this oil was placed in a horn, an ox horn which symbolizes strength and power. Oxes gore their enemies to death. And God would take this oil and the prophet would pour the oil on the king's head to say, this is my horn. He's going to gore my enemies to death. He is set apart as a king for that. And, and God here is saying this about Saul. But we have, to, we have to say, this is weird and this is awkward. Remember, Samuel is old, Kind of decrepit. He can't do his job anymore. And so Saul's been out finding donkeys for his dad. And he meets this old guy prophet who walks up to him and says, I got a word from God for you. And he just pours oil on his head. That's strange. I remember when I was a teenager, I had, I don't know why this happened. It's not here anymore. But I had these warts break out on my hand. And there was a guy at our church who thought he was the wart whisperer. (laughs) And after church, he walked up to me one day. He's about 90 years old. He said, I hear you got some warts on your hands, which is weird. That's, who told you this? And he took my hand, and he said, I'm going to get rid of them. And he just started rubbing my hand, and he blew on my hand and just turned around and walked away. I said, this is the weirdest church. This is the weirdest experience. It's kind of what's going on with Saul here. And as we watch Saul through this, this whole enact, uh, encounter, he doesn't really know how to, how to receive these things. I'm going to be king? This is weird. Why are you saying this about me? I'm a Benjamite. This, I, I, I'm just a farm boy. How is this going on with me? And here in this sign, we are seeing the prophet is identifying the king. And it is the word of God through Samuel that is saying to Saul, you're going to be king. And we see this connection throughout the whole Bible where the prophet appoints the king. The prophet with the word of God identifies the king. And then the king submits to the prophet to say, I'm submitted to the word of God. And that's what's supposed to be going on here. We see this with Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene. And who? John the Baptist. Behold. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin. The prophet is saying, that's God's Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist, when when he sees Jesus walking up, says, the kingdom of God is at hand in Jesus. And then Jesus walks off into the Jordan. And, And what does Jesus do? He says, I must do this. I must be baptized by you, John the prophet, to fulfill all righteousness. And what he is saying is, every other king of Israel has been in submission to the word of God. And Jesus is saying, Saying to the prophet, that must be me. I must submit like every other king to the word of God and the prophet. And this is exactly what's happened in your life if you call yourself a Christian. How did you become a Christian? The word of God identified you as a witness of the kingdom. The word of God invaded your life and anointed you with the presence of God to submit to the word of God. When you heard the good news that you could be forgiven of your sin in Jesus submitting to Him, following Him, and you could have the promise to be raised up out of your grave one day and you believe the gospel. Guess what? The word of the prophet Jesus set you apart. He, he, he identified you as the kingdom. He gave your his spirit to you to set you apart. You were in Sunday school and Miss Louise told you about Jesus. That was my Sunday school teacher. And you heard and you believed. And that's what was going on here. God was setting you apart to the kingdom. You were at that campus ministry meeting and that campus minister in his chacos was standing up there and he said, he's so nerdy and he's so weird and what am I doing here? And then all of a sudden you heard the good news and you said, this is what I need. You were set apart to the kingdom by the word of God. It wasn't even so much about the person telling you the gospel. It was the Word of God by the Spirit of God that was setting you apart to His kingdom. You heard the words of the King, follow me. And and, and the Word and the kingdom and the Spirit, all of that became one and you were set apart in this way. Notice verse 2. He said to him, And when you depart from me this day, two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin, Zelza." And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you. What shall I do about my son? Now, Samuel has already told him this, right? He's already told him those exact words. And he says, I'm going to give you a sign. There's two people by Rachel's tomb. They're going to walk up to you. They're going to say the same thing just to confirm that my word is true. Now, now that's weird. That's odd. That's odd. But but Rachel's tomb here is where the line of Saul began. If you remember Rachel, while she was giving birth to Benjamin, she died. And here, as Saul makes his way back home, he's going to rehearse his family's history. He's going to go by Rachel's tomb where his line began in death. And and these prophets are going to declare to him an identity change even. You, You came to find donkeys. You are still identified with your father. But in some sense, your father has lost you. And from this place of death, Rachel's tomb will come life. This is where God will give Israel her first king from this place of death. He's identifying in God's story, beginning at Rachel's tomb. And then verse 3. Then you should go on a little farther to the oak of Tabor. And three men going up to God at Bethel. Bethel means house of God. So they're going to this place identified as God's house, identified as God's presence. And now three men will meet you. One carrying three goats and another three loaves and another carrying a wineskin. And so they have been to worship. Probably, probably priest here, a priestly act They have offered sacrifices, but they have been in the presence of God, worshiping. And verse 4, and they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, and you will accept them from their hand. Again, this was probably a gift that was to be given to a priest. But notice, he is identifying with this place called Bethel. Bethlehem is the house of bread. And so from Rachel's tomb, this place of death, now he's in this place where God provides bread. God provides sustenance. God provides provision for his king. And God is telling a new story here with Saul. He's, he's reminding him of his family history. Notice verse 5. And after you shall go to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines had overtaken this hill. This was their territory at the time. And he says, you're going to go by this place, and as soon as you come to this city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from a high place. And notice what they're doing. Harp, tambourine, flute, lyre before them, and they are prophesying. So, so you're going to go by Rachel's tomb. You'll be reminded of a place of death. Then you're going to get some loaf of bread. And then you're going to see these gypsy, crazy prophets... Sort of Jesus movement hipsters. And they're just out in the middle of nowhere and they're gonna see you and they're gonna start singing and dancing. And, and, and the picture here is a sign of victory. The Philistines had overtaken this place, but when these gypsies, when these prophets see you, they're gonna start declaring to you, Saul, here comes victory. Here comes victory in Saul, the farm boy. And how are they even going to know who you are? Well, they're going to be prophesying by the spirit and power of God to forth tell a victory coming for the people of God. Notice verse 6. And then the spirit of, of the Lord will rush upon you. After you rehearse this history, who you are, after you go through, th- through these words and these signs, the Spirit will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into a new man. Now, we have to kind of understand what prophecy is in the Bible. So often we think about it as telling the future. Very little of, of it means to tell the future, to guess what's going to happen next. Prophecy, all prophets declared the kingdom is at hand. They declared the truth of God's kingdom. And that's what these prophets are doing when they see Saul. They're saying the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Saul, guess what's going to happen to you? The spirit, the presence of the kingdom is going to come upon you and you're going to begin to say that about yourself. The kingdom is at hand. And you're going to prophesy the kingdom is at hand. And, And throughout the Bible we see the spirit of God empowers people at different times to do different things. And up until this point, it's been very temporary. The Spirit comes down and does what it wants. And and the judges, the Spirit comes down and He delivers the people of God. But notice how it's described here with Saul. You're going to be turned into a new man. The Spirit of God is going to begin to live in you. And so you're going to be able to declare the spirit within you is going to be able to declare the kingdom is at hand in me. And notice verse 7. Now when these signs meet you, you do what your hand finds you to do. For God is with you. And here we, we, we think this means that Saul is to declare the kingdom is at hand with me. Don't be scared, Saul, as you go back home to the farm to declare to all the people there, God's made me king. You have the Spirit of God within you. The kingdom is at hand within you. Notice verse 8. Then go down before Gilgal. Now this was a place where Israel over and over camped again. And it's mentioned over 30 times in Joshua as the place where they rested after crossing the Jordan River. And so notice the significance there. From Rachel's tomb to this place of victory and celebration. And these prophets and these signs are telling Saul a new story. And notice he says you're going to go down there to this place of of rest and then I'm going to come and we're going to offer burnt offerings and peace offerings. We're going to worship together with the whole people of God and I want you to go there and I want you to wait for me as you declare the kingdom of God and then I'm going to come and I'm going to lead you into the kingdom as the king. I'm going to tell you what to do. You wait for my word to lead as king. But all of these signs, as weird and awkward as they are, these are strange memes that people send you on your birthday. Who am I? Hokemania, what does that mean? Who am I? Oh, your line began at Rachel's tomb in death. But guess what? God's going to provide for you from the house of bread. And He's going to provide a victory for you. And we're going to celebrate. And you're going to be accepted as God's king with God's presence. And he's also rehearsed so many stories throughout the Bible. From the the fathers, the promise was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're going to go back to Rachel where that promise seemed to die, but there's life comes from that promise. God hasn't stopped fulfilling His promises. We're going to go back to, to the house of bread. Remember Israel in the wilderness? God provided for them. God provided for them even in the wilderness And we're going to go back to Gilgal, where they entered the promised land. God's always fulfilled his promises. And here he is reminding Saul who he is. This is a crash course in Israel's history to to tell Saul, you've got to identify with these people and their story. These are my people, God's saying. And this is their story. And if you're going to be their king, you have to enter into their story. And he's telling him who he is, God's king, to to deliver his people by the power and spirit of God. Saul, this is your life. Even though you don't know anything about it up until this point. This is your life and this is who you are. And you must identify with this story or you're not going to know who you are. You don't know who you are as king right now. I'm telling you who you are. And for, for Saul to figure this out, he's got to immerse himself into Israel's story. The only significance Saul has today for us is that he's in God's story. Apart from this, he's just another failed king. And the same thing's true about your story. This is what we do week after week. We rehearse the story. Different parts of Scripture. We open up our Bible and we see the story over and over and over again so we can identify with it. So we can see ourselves in God's story. This is why the whole idea of applying the word to my life, that's the way we've thought about Bible study. I want to study the Bible to apply something that's faulty. Because your life, my life is 42 years long. I can't fit Jesus' story into my life. His life began, there was no beginning. And there's no end to Jesus' life. I can't fit it into my story. The way you think about Bible study is you take your life and you fit it into Jesus's. 42 years, what have I done? Not much. Not much at all. You look back on your life, I wish I'd have done that differently. I wish I would have, I wish I would have done things differently. And so often we look back on our life and it's full of regret, regret, regret. Very few people, unless they think a lot of themselves, get to the end and said, I did it all right. And and you live with hopelessness and despair unless you say this hopeless, despairing life fits into a grand story. And there's a story that is being told that is glorious and hopeful. And i got to figure out how my life fits into that story. And you move from despair and hopelessness to glory. To glory when you identify with his story. And this is why God gives his word, his Bible, to a community of people. Notice how this story works. Samuel is one man. And then we have two men. And then we have three men. And by the end of the story being told to Saul, we are with the community of God in worship. And he is moving Saul into God's community. And that's why God gives his word to a community. Because we need the word of God, but not as individuals. You have to look around this room week after week and say, it's not all about me. Look how many stories are being told right now. Look around the room. You're not the only story being told. And you have to have people other than yourself To look at you and say, this is how your story fits in. Because we forget who we are. Just like Saul doesn't know who he is. You forget who you are so often. And you don't know yourself as well as other people can know you. You see yourself in a certain way. Whether it's good or bad. And you have to have people step into your life and remind you. No, you're a part of a greater, bigger story. You have to have preaching that reminds you of Jesus' story. This isn't your story. This is Jesus' story. And Jesus would tell you before Abraham was, I am, I am, I am. And so you know what that means for you? That tells you who you are. When God makes a promise to you that he will raise you from the dead, you know that promise is true because it had no beginning. It had no beginning in Jesus. And he's never turned his back on Jesus. God has loved Jesus always, and He's always going to love you. He's always going to fulfill His promises to you. Just like Saul is reminded of his history, you have to be reminded of your history in Jesus. And in Jesus, it had no beginning, and it will have no end. And your life fits into that story. You have to be reminded of the way God provides for His people. Just like Saul is reminded here. God's always provided for His people, Saul. You're the king. You're the Johnny come lately in this story. We want you to know God's always provided. And people have to tell you that week after week. Small group, accountability group, BFGs. You sit around you say, I don't know how I'm going to provide. I don't know how I'm going to take care of my family. And and in your little despairing story, you are hopeless and you're weak and you don't know how it's going to happen. You have to have people gather around and say, no, it's not your story. It's Jesus's story. He's always provided for Jesus. He's always provided for His people. He provided a resurrection for Jesus. He's going to provide money for you somehow. And if He doesn't, He'll raise you from the dead, just like He did Jesus. And you have to have people step into your life and remind you of those things. That's why we have a community with the story. We are a community of people with the story, not individuals with the story. God didn't just give his word to you as an isolated individual. He gave it to his church so you would would be reminded of our story, not your story. We gather around, some of us are sick, some of us have loved ones. The diagnosis is cancer. Some of our hearts are breaking as our parents get old and they're dying. And we don't know, we don't have good decisions, and we don't know how to take care of them. Some of you are struggling with that here today, and you you think you've been defeated by death. The people who mean the most to you in your life are being devastated by death, and you feel defeat. And you have to have people in your life say, no, we are not defeated. We're not defeated. Jesus is going to raise us all from the dead. How do we know? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. And your life is about Jesus' story. And because God raised Jesus from the dead, He's going to raise you from the dead. If it's just about you, you should be hopeless and you should despair. But this is Jesus' story. And we push and we pull and, and we prod and, and we, we, we cling to one another in His story, not our story. This is why God gives us the ordinances. The, we, we read this story and we find all these weird signs. And if you don't think the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's table are weird, they're very weird. They're strange. We dump people in water. We talk about this a lot around here. We immerse them where they can't breathe. They open their mouth underwater while I'm holding them down. They will die. And then we raise them up. That's weird. Sounds like something you do at the frat house. But we do it as a church. And the Lord's table, we take this bread and we take this cup. Here we make it even more awkward because we do little pieces of bread. And we separate it. Little thimbles of juice. And we say this is flesh and this is blood. That's weird and that's awkward. But what's going on in those moments? God is reminding us who we are. They're all informed by the Word of God. That's why those things are not privately done. You gather with the community to be reminded who we are. This is who we are. And we inform it by the Word of God that's being preached. We are a family that comes together to be reminded by these weird cultish signs. And what does it remind us? It reminds us of our history. We were once dead and now we're alive. And we see it over and over again. We we gather the thimble and we gather the bread and we we picture in our mind a a cup of victory and a feast of victory and we're reminded we're not defeated because Jesus wasn't defeated. And this all fits into His story. When Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, He's not saying, y'all better miss me when I'm gone. You better miss me. No, He's saying, I want to remind you who you are. Remember who I am. I defeated sin and death for you. So remember who you are week after week after week as you gather around my word. Notice verse 9. And when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. That's another way of saying he made him into this new man, this new person by his spirit. And and this is going to be more than just this temporary feeling, filling, that's a Tennessee accent, F-I-L-L-I-N-G, I forgot how to spell for a minute. Or F I L L I N, filling, it's gonna be more than temporary with him. Yeah. He is empowered and anointed to be God's king, to declare the kingdom of God is at hand. And notice all these signs came to pass. Now, just put yourself in Saul's shoes for a little bit, his sandals. He's walking back home, all these weird signs are happening. And he's like, I just wanted to find donkeys, I'm king. You got all these weird gypsy prophets talking to me out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden, I'm starting to talk about stuff I don't even know anything about, about the kingdom. Where's this coming from? And he went to Gibeah. And behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God, just like Samuel said, rushed upon him. And he prophesied. He said, the kingdom is at hand. And in verse 11, and when all who knew him previously saw him, he prophesied with them. And with the prophets and the people said to one another, Notice, notice how shocked his family, his friends are. What has come over the son of Kish? And Samuel's making a point here, son of Kish. That's his identity. That's his old identity. Isn't that Saul? It, isn't that Kish's boy, Saul? He's running around here like he's got religion. He's prophesying. You know, those weird prophets that talk about the kingdom of God. And now Saul is who's his daddy? Isn't it Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? And it even began a saying throughout the land. And a man answered of the place and said, And who is his father? And there became a proverb. Is Saul among the prophets? And that's sarcasm. Saul, this country boy, he didn't even... Remember last chapter? He didn't even know what was going on when the people were worshiping. He didn't even know who Samuel was. He didn't know. It would be like saying, Hey, can you show me to Billy Graham? To Billy Graham. That's what happened in the last chapter to Saul. He doesn't even know who Samuel is. And, and, and all of a sudden he's this prophet. All of a sudden he's this prophet of the kingdom. What has gotten into him? And then notice verse 13. And when he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. All of a sudden he's going to worship. And Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And notice his response. This is... Very important, to seek the donkeys. That's what I've been doing. And when they saw that they were not found, we went to Samuel. You know Samuel, that prophet. And Saul's uncle said to him, another sign of family identity, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly. Now the word plainly here is very closely connected to the word prince in verse 1. And if you're reading it for the first time, You're to be on the edge of your seat thinking, oh, he's about to tell his uncle he's the king of Israel. The word is very similar, but notice what he tells him, that the donkeys have been found. And notice, but the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. He didn't prophesy to his family. He didn't prophesy when he got back home. He closed his mouth. He was silent about the kingdom. You see, in Saul, the word of the prophet and the presence of the kingdom by the Spirit are to be one. And if you have the Spirit, you're not to be able to even help yourself. You prophesy. You talk about the kingdom. That's what the Spirit does. That's what we see in Jesus. Jesus is the Word made flesh. And He is God's King in flesh. And He's called the Word. That means that the kingdom and the Word become one. And at his baptism, at his anointing, what what comes from heaven? A word from his father that says, Behold, my son, in whom I'm well pleased. This is my king, not just my boy. He's saying, This is the kingdom is at hand. And then what happens after the Father speaks from heaven and gives the Word to the kingdom? What happens? The Spirit comes down like a dove. And then what does Jesus immediately do? He goes out into the wilderness and He tells the serpent, Who am I? I am the Son of God. And He refuses the testing of the serpent. And then Jesus goes about and he does not deny who he is now or who he is as Saul did. Saul denied who he is now. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus goes out and says, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. Jesus prophesies about himself. The kingdom is at hand. And then we see all of these spectacular signs in Jesus. He speaks to sickness and it leaves bodies. He speaks to natural chaos and and it is quelled by His Word. He, He speaks to demons and they shudder. And what is He saying? The kingdom is at hand. Look, the kingdom is at hand. He prophesies concerning Himself in Jesus. The kingdom and the Word become one. And all who submit to the Word of the kingdom, guess what happens in your life? The Father says to you, Behold, my Son, Behold my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. A word comes to you from the kingdom. You are set apart as God's child. And to confirm that, what happens? An anointing. And the Spirit comes and lives within you and not in a temporary sense. He comes and lives. He takes up residence in you. And we see this same word in Acts uh, chapters 1 and 2 where the Spirit rushes upon the church. The same type of word is used. They're in the upper room. They're wondering what's next. And the Spirit rushes upon the church. And what do they begin to do? They begin to speak in tongues, which means they preach the gospel in different languages. What are they doing in the upper room? They are prophesying the kingdom is at hand in the church. And their identity and the Word and the kingdom become one. And the church becomes this ultimate, primary sign in the world. With the Word of God. That the kingdom is at hand. That's what the church is. You want to know who Jesus is? Well, there's some ragtag prophets here today. And they will prophesy about God's king. They will say the kingdom is at hand in Jesus. And the kingdom is at hand in the spirit and the word here. That is who we are. That's our identity. This is why a church that doesn't point to Jesus is denying who they are. They're denying who they are. Acts 1.8, we read it earlier. You shall be my witnesses. Witness for the Christian isn't just something you do. You say Jesus is Lord. It's who you are. And so when a church doesn't preach primarily that Jesus is Lord, this is about Jesus, show us Christ. When it's not about Jesus, 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 what Jesus has done, who Jesus is, his story, we're denying our identity We're denying who we are, just like Saul. And some of us have that problem. We have an identity crisis going on. We don't know who we are. We want to be someone else. Saul didn't speak of the kingdom. When someone asked him, hey, what did the prophet say to you? Oh, nothing. The donkeys. You know the donkeys. You heard about the donkeys? Everybody's talking about the donkeys. And now our dad's wondering where we are, and he's worried about it. Oh, we found the donkeys, that's all. And and some people ask you, hey, this Jesus thing, I see you post on Facebook and you going to church there. You a Christian? Oh, aren't the cat the cat's gonna have a good season this year? I think they're gonna have a good season. I think they're gonna finally get it together. It's been hot this week. Donkeys. Donkeys. That that's that we the identity. Of the kingdom comes together in the spirit and the word. And that's who we are. We are witnesses. The thing about it is, Saul is a king. He's God's king. He's just a bad king. He's a witness of the kingdom. He's just a bad witness. And the same's true with some of us. That's who we are. We are witnesses of the kingdom. But some of us are just bad witnesses. If you identify with Christ, maybe you just do it with your mouth. Say, I'm a Christian, you're a witness. But by the power of the Spirit, you are to declare Jesus is Lord. It's like we talk about marriage around here and we say to husbands, you are the head of your house because God has said so. That is who you are. You don't choose to be that. When you get married, that's who you are. You just may be a bad head. But that's who you are. And when you get married, you are a declaration of the gospel. Husband and wife, that's who you are. You are declaring something about Jesus at all times. You're either declaring a truth about Jesus or a lie about Jesus. You're either saying Jesus loves His church or He doesn't love His church. You're either saying the church loves, respects, and submits to Jesus or she doesn't. You're saying something, but you are a declaration of the gospel. And the same is true for us as witnesses. You are saying something about Jesus, even with your mouth closed. Even with your mouth closed, you're saying something. This is true. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is present. And yet by the power and courage of the Spirit, we're to say Jesus is Lord. You know, I'm amused by a lot of evangelism programs that talk about getting the gospel in. Like when you're in a conversation, you have to really think about how am I going to get the gospel in? Oh, you're changing a light bulb? Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus, you're on Facebook? Oh, Jesus wants to be friends with you. All this corny, cheesy stuff. First of all, I've used people in a weird project type way where this conversation doesn't mean anything. But also, if the power of the Spirit is in us, I don't even know how that works. And maybe for some of you that's great. You're sharing the gospel? Don't throw your gimmicks out. Use them for the sake of the gospel. But get it in? It's who you are. You've been forgiven because of the cross. We talk about a million other things all the time because it's a part of who we are and we don't have to get it in. We don't, we don't have to get things in that we're passionate about. I've been saved because of the cross. Jesus died for my sins. God raised Him from the dead. He's given me this eternal promise of His kingdom. How, how do I have to get that in? No, I just speak by the power of the Spirit. Just do that. Step out and start talking about Jesus. Experience the power of the kingdom. The witness of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom becomes one in your life when you just start talking about Jesus. And in certain contexts, just like this story, it's weird. Where are these people coming from? Where did that come from? That story? But it's who who we are. Let's pray.